Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello and welcome into another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here with you and joining me, ESPN's Courtney Cronin. She uh, earned a trip back to the Purple Podcast and hopefully if you are willing and you have time, you can become a regular whatever, however often you want to come If on. I earn it, that's yes. the important part. I have to earn this right. Yeah, no, I, I think you did. I think last week. See, uh, we got such negative feedback that it was kind of like a Skip Bayless show. <laughs> it, it made people so mad that they listened. And uh, you know, it did well. I, I'm kidding about that. The feedback was was very good about your first appearance. It was fun. So Had a good time. Glad to have you back to explain to me route trees. Oh, I can't wait. I know that we're going to get into some real intricacies of route trees, of the cover two defense, of you know disguising blitzes. I mean, we can. I mean, we're in the cafeteria next to our media room right now, so there's a lot of room that we could like use yeah. the chairs as as uh, you know as dummies, and then we can tackle um, them. Is Cam Newton going to be okay with you explaining those things to our audience? I guess if I mansplain them, is that is that the right way to go about that? Maybe if you do them in a lower voice, like the out route is five yards. <laughs> that route, that route tree you did send me yesterday, I got a very hearty laugh out of that. Yeah. I'm sure there are some people who probably saw that, like, oh my gosh, is this like part two? But they have to understand that you obviously are in a position that you have nothing but. You know the highest level of respect because your wife would probably kick your behind mm. because, as you told me, she knows more about sports than you do. Uh, well, she's a uh, football play-by-play broadcaster, uh, so yeah, that, I think she knows what she's talking about. But you know, my wife early in her career uh, did not get a position doing football play-by-play because a program director for a very small station in Western New York didn't believe that she would know football. So I've seen that right up close. What Cam Newton said uh, to the reporter in Charlotte, uh, it, it wasn't just inappropriate. I mean, of course it's inappropriate, but it also strikes a nerve with any woman who covers football or sports in general who has to deal with this on a daily basis. And you and I have taken the same number of snaps on an NFL field. And so, I mean, we all get talked down to a little bit by mm-hmm. these players, but uh, I think women – take it much harder uh, from players, from coaches, whatever, 
with the condescending tone. And so what Cam Newton did is now blowing up everywhere, but it's really not that uncommon. No. And I mean, every woman has a story, whether it's in the NFL, covering the NBA. I mean, it's everywhere. College basketball. I mean, I've I started my career professionally in Mississippi, the deep south. You know how many football coaches like when I'm actually like talking to them about more, you know, about bigger things other than, you know, how do you think your defense is going to be this year? An right. easy way to phrase something. You know, I've got looks. I've, I've, been, I've been thought of as, you know, until you actually open your mouth and start talking, they're like, whoa, they, she does know what she's talking about. Um, there's always that doubt. And you can point to a number of things that might cast that doubt, which is very unfair. But sadly, it's kind of something that we've all grown accustomed to. Um, I'm not dealing with it in the sense of what a lot of women 20 years ago, Christine Brennan, somebody reposted a column she had this morning from when she was a Washington Redskins reporter in a close friend of mine, Ann Killian, who's a sports columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle. Some of the things that I've heard she's had to, she had to deal with 20 years ago when walking around a locker room where guys are, you know, changing and, and that was taboo back then. Um, you know, it's, it, as far as we've come, there's these instances like this. And obviously there's a lot of fallout surrounding, you know, what people are digging up Jordan's past now and some tweets that she may have had. And so everybody wants to equate it. Well, if you were mad at Cam, you need to be equally as mad as that. Okay, they're both bad things. But back to the point of Cam is where we need to keep it at. The comments were uncalled for. Did we not learn from what Jameis Winston said a year ago to a room of like, what were they, like little kids, like elementary school kids where he's like, boys, you should be, you know, should be violent, aggressive, whatever the word was. But then he said, you know, girls should be quiet and polite. And he got slammed for that. And luckily he apologized for it. But the fact that that's even a thought, people aren't really sorry. If you say something like that, you're not really sorry. I I, I don't buy it. Yeah. And any apology that comes from Cam Newton is phony and fake. Yeah. He had a chance yesterday to turn that, as we said, you know, walking over to Mike Zimmer's press conference earlier, he could have caught himself and said, ha ha, it's, you know, it's funny, Devin Funches. He could have just gone right into that with a pun. Um, <laughs> and we like puns. We right like here. puns on this show. But um, I just, no one's going to buy it from here on out. And I think he's caused him, he's cost himself money, clearly, so far. Um, he's all, he gets a lot of unfair scrutiny. I, I truly believe that. And it's a, it's a matter of you can say something, you know, unforgivable essentially what he did and you can get unfair scrutiny and you can still you know the two can coexist which i think a lot of people don't want to believe but that's true and that's the thing from my standpoint i always appreciated cam and thought that he did get unfair scrutiny because he's a black quarterback who runs Mm -hmm. and anytime you're a black quarterback who runs it's he's an athlete he's not really a quarterback he's got character problems all these things that he went through coming into the league and then the overreaction to him after the Super Bowl. If it's Tom Brady who walks away from a press conference, after like a dozen questions, by the way, then they would have said, oh, he's just so upset. He's just such a great competitor. He couldn't talk about it anymore. But with Cam Newton, oh, he's a child. So from someone, from his standpoint, that's gone through that same sort of criticism based on his race, to do that to someone else, to marginalize someone else because of their gender is just sad yeah it is sad and unforgivable to me Uh, no matter what how he tries to walk it back it's well we know where you stand now with that but i think the way i always take it because of what my wife does and just in general that uh, we have uh, yourself and Lindsay young works for the vikings here covering the team on a daily basis and i feel like in general uh, the vikings players staff 
does not take a different tone that I've seen so far. But for the culture, it happens a lot. Even when I was covering uh, American League hockey, this is like seven years ago, uh, myself and a woman reporter were walking down to the locker room, and there's like a security guy who stops and checks your credential or whatever. And so the guy checked mine. I go walking by, checks the woman, and we had to walk by the uh, opposing team's locker room where they, you know, the door was open and they're changing. And he says, well, block your eyes or whatever to, to the girl. And, I mean, I told the communication staff what happened. I think they disciplined that person for doing that. But, again, it's just like th- this happens all the time to women who are covering NFL teams or every sport from top to bottom. There was a woman who was covering the Gophers who was sexually harassed by an athletic director. I hope I got that yeah, the details right. right. That's right. It's just it's like how at this point, if you're Cam Newton, have you not noticed that? How has it not changed? How how is it not changed? But how do you not have that awareness of all these incidents that happen if you are him? And then even as the Carolina Panthers, what's their response been? Not enough. No, and I mean it was wrong. First off, according to what. The reporter said what we saw initially there was a a tweet I believe Ian Rappaport um, was given a statement from the from the Carolina Panthers saying yeah it had been worked out whatever and then Jordan Rodriguez comes through and gives her statement saying that's not the case at all Um, I think the interesting thing here is that people outside of the realm of sports who not not even fans get it but like what you know there's still people i get questions like oh my gosh you go in locker rooms like how do you do that that's so weird like they're naked in there and it's like that's your job like your job is to do your job to the best of your ability if i'm a doctor like i better like blood because i'm going to see a lot of it if if i'm if i'm a female reporter you better get used to the fact that guys are going to be walking around naked in a locker room and you're going to have to, you know, it's just like it's not even a thought. Like you just do your job like everybody else will. That stuff, that's ancillary. If you're, you know, if you're a female or male reporter, it's your job to know about the team, to know about the inner workings of a team. My biggest pet peeve is that if that question came from a male, if it came from, and I have a group email with some journalist friends where I use this example this morning, just kind of going off my SEC background of um, lots of mansplaining happening in the southern portion of the United States. Um, if you're somebody from you know the SEC network or if you're Jerry from Gadsden, Alabama, paper of you know 15,000 circulation weekly, and you ask a question about routes or route trees or however she phrased it, really it was the physicality of the receiver of Devin Funches, you're going to get a different answer than, you know, if somebody, if you try to get into the technicality of, a, you know, of something of, you know, some football skill of scheme, you know, she did it in a way where she wasn't messing it up there. You and, you know, I think we've talked about this before, just kind of in the, you know, joking with football, like we have to make everything about football. Like I've seen more people butcher scheme questions, trying to sound like a smart person. They come off smart like a smart ass. They sound horrible. And it's unfortunate because you could really phrase something in a way where you don't, you know, you're not trying to – coaches are coaches see right through that. They all think we're dumb. Like, seriously, they don't think we're very smart because they're coaching something that is so technical and that is so much further than we understand. My best example of it was when um, my – it would have been Dak Prescott's junior year, my uh, – Mississippi State beat reporter and I were in Starkville and we did this preseason feature. We got, you know, did a sit down interview with Dak, videotaped it, and then we got him to play NCAA 2K14. 
because we want to see, okay, hey, well, we obviously can't see during the game. Like, we don't need to break down actual game film. Let's see how you read your route, you know, you do your go through your reads, your checks, you know, what you come through at the line. We couldn't understand a word he was saying, but it was the <laughs> yeah. most fascinating thing I think I've ever gone through, um, getting to see just how technical it is. Um, so, I mean, I know that kind of diverts from the original thought, but that, you know, she asked a good question. It was not a poorly worded question, and she didn't say talk about, which yeah. is, you know, I think a big pet peeve for a lot of journalists. Like, she did her job. And she was faulted for her job because of her X chromosome. So, unfortunate. Yeah, that, well, that, that's the thing, too. That we all get sort of talked down to about the complexity of the sport by the football people. Absolutely. Even when you get it right and they don't want you to know, they'll say, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. Or give you a one-word answer or, you yeah. know, just say, I don't know. Like, and that's unfortunate, but But in this case, your job. It, it, the reporter didn't try to sound like she was analyzing the route tree. It was only asking a question about the physicality of a receiver in a route, which you could easily see by watching. So mm-hmm. anyway, the bigger point, I was watching this viral video on the Internet, for those who have it, uh, about uh, a, a general, I think it was in the Air Force, was giving a speech about some people who had uh, written some racist things uh, on doors or whatever it was. And at the end of his speech, he said, if you are going to treat anyone like they're lesser or marginalize anyone, you can get out. And I feel the same way about sports. Like this, this isn't a place for you if you are going to act like that. Just get out. I mean, it's like, 2017. Like, are we still – is it still an issue that, like, women are covering sports? It's not – number one, it's not going away. Number two, it's been evolving for the past, you know – Decades and coaching in the NFL, there are multiple. Exactly, Katie Sowers, who's coaching wide receivers. My former colleague Cam Inman had like the mic drop tweet of the day yesterday. Um, some receiver dropped a ball, and it was like he was. They're able to watch a little bit more practice, I think, kind of just gathering what they what he was seeing. And she was she went over to coach the receiver up. And he's like, you know, she did her job. It wasn't funny. You know, it's just yeah. it's just kind of yep. I don't know. I thought that was an interesting tweet, um, and in good perspective too, because we are seeing women. I think that there are some very progressive coaching staffs that are including women on their staffs, like the Forty ers um, I'd like to see that happen more often, and maybe maybe that's where it's trending. Yeah, and the Vikings have uh, women who uh, play an integral role in the front office as mm-hmm. well. Absolutely. Here. So, anyway, it is amazing that we um, have to spend talking about. Hey, women, they're people, too. Like, just, right? I, I mean, it, it always amazes me that the conversation even needs to be had. But uh, it starts from, I think, very young with football culture. And uh, it's something that, that needs to go. I grew up. I you know, didn't say I grew up, but uh, I lived in the culture of uh, women football clinics in the South. And I was the staunchest, like, outspoken, these are wrong. And I would get, I would get killed for it on Twitter. Um, I think they are wrong. If you're going to have a football clinic, let's include everybody in that because, you know, there's like those, like, uh, on Saturday during the summer, it'll be a bunch of SEC schools and it'll be like, in high schools have kind of taken on the same approach, like, uh, 
pom-poms and pearls or pigskins and pearls, whatever it is, pigskins and pearls. Uh, I'm trying to think. There's some other good ones that are just, it's just cringeworthy because it's trying to cutesify, if that's a word, the sport where there are a lot of women who want to watch it just like I do, just like you do. And they want to watch it and they want to understand it. I mean, how many, that's the reason we all have Game Pass, so we can go back and hit the negative 10 on speed and watch it, you know, watch plays develop. Those are the people who want to understand it. And I, I do think there is too much mansplaining um, in sports, not just in the NFL, but in terms of everything. So I hope it changes. Uh, but in the meantime, they're not, we're not going anywhere. I mean, it's not like it's going to – I mean, I think it is unfortunate the distraction it's probably caused for Jordan and for you know, a lot of people on that beat. Um, but that's something it's just kind of a product of, you know, people say Colin Kaepernick was a distraction. And look how, you know, it, it, what he's been able to do and spark that movement, whatever side of it you're on. I mean, we're talking about it. Yeah, and uh, Cam has quite a, caused quite a distraction himself here. Yeah. If, if I was the NFL, I would at least fine him, if not suspend him, for, for a comment like that. I think that goes beyond just uh, saying sorry or whatever else. You know? Sorry doesn't cut it anymore. I mean, and I and I and I agree. I mean, there's no, there's no way they can really do anything now. They put out a statement saying we want to create a, a comfortable environment for all of our media. Okay, that's kind of they have to do that, mm-hmm. and that came I think from Brian McCarthy, their PR guy. But the the Panthers need to handle this because they botched it right away when they said that there was a discussion and everything's cool now. Everything's cool. Like, yeah. no, it's not cool. It's it's become a firestorm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but the best thing to do, one thing I learned just from, you know, going through this over the years is, like, you know, if some somebody gets mad at your story, if somebody, you know, treats you like crap, and you go back the next day and you do your job. Right. You do not let somebody stand in the way of that. Of She's going to feel uncomfortable in that locker room. There is, I mean, I don't care. You could be the toughest human, not female, not male, human. You could be the toughest person in the world. To go in there is going to be uncomfortable. And she will be successful if she can just soldier through that and do her job. Yeah, and it's More power to her. Hats off. It's going to be tough. But that's going to have to, she has to do it. And it, it just it needs to end where anyone has to go into a locker room and feel uncomfortable to do their job. I mean, this is it's just it's just a sport. It's sports. Like, it's, right. Well, even in politics, they shouldn't have to go in there and feel like they're going to get their head cut off like by the what fifth press secretary yeah, in the yeah. last like year. But anyways, I digress. Politics, you probably expect a little more. Uh, I don't know. Just the firestorms or whatever you want to call them right, around stories. Terse like responses. But, right. Sports, it should, this, should, this should be fun. Uh, even, even if you're just talking to players about the next game, mm-hmm. it, it really shouldn't be an atmosphere where you have to feel like someone's going to point you out and try to embarrass you for your gender. I mean, that's just uh, unacceptable. So anyway, let's talk about some routes. Let's talk about routes. Let's All talk right. about sports. Uh, Sluggo seam route is my favorite name of a route. Um, I'm trying to think back, and I know I said I don't play video games, but I do remember back in like early, late 2000, like after 2010, NFL Blitz came out. What was that one? Um, oh, NFL Blitz is a classic. There was, no, there was a good route that it was just like the stupidest name. Yeah, I, th- I don't think um, that those were real route names. They would, oh. I have, but the, uh, the Sluggo seam being the slant and go to the seam is... Uh, Da bomb. That's, that's, that's oh, the da one. Bomb. Or blizzard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember those. Those those made me laugh. But yeah, you're you're right on yours. 
well, anyway, great analysis of the bomb on <laughs> NFL Blitz. Kyle Rudolph's routes were interesting to me last week. I, we got to get to a couple, of, a couple of different Vikings things here. Um, I, I think a key part of making up for the loss of Kyle or of uh, Delvin Cook is getting Kyle Rudolph more involved. When they've thrown him the ball, they've had success. Mm-hmm. And speaking of routes, he had a seam route last week where he was open and it was a bad throw by Case Keenum. He had another one that was a 10-yard out where he was open and it was a bad throw by Case Keenum, but it was down the field. And then he had catches of 15 and 19 yards. These are things that did not happen with Kyle Rudolph last year, but now the fact that they can protect the passer, I think he becomes a more valuable weapon as they try to find different ways to make up for losing Delvin Cook. Yeah, and I mean, I think he's been a bigger part. It was a slow start for him in terms of pass protection, but we have seen him. He's had to contribute with a lot more. Uh, recently, and I think that that's only going to continue. I mean, regardless, you do have Latavius Murray, who was the third best p- pass blocking running back last year. So it's yes, it's a drop off from Dalvin Cook, but I think that that, in terms of the protection aspect, something that Kyle has kind of gotten knocked for mm-hmm. um, recently. It's a good thing. But um, that third and three play, I think that was the one that uh, could have resulted in the touch. Like that, could, that was our go ahead to win the game and uh he case said that after the game he's like i wish i would have you know that's that's a play i wish i had back i wish i would have thrown it to kyle and i agree with you i think early on in that pittsburgh game granted you know their safeties couldn't you know for the last two years haven't been able to guard a tight end Mm -hmm. but um he was his security blanket in that game and yeah he had the you know they had the touchdown early on against the saints and then coming back kind of been a little bit of a lull and hasn't been targeted as much but that's what the def i mean it, it changes every week he said it today he could get two targets he could get 10 targets it really is and mike zimmer i asked him about that earlier in the week like is that something you're going to make a concerted effort to try and get Kyle more involved uh, a little bit earlier. I mean, it's it's based on defense. He's going to get his. There's a reason that, you know, they don't they're not concerned at all. If Kyle Rudolph is the last of their it's the last thing they're worried about right now. And I mean, you know, when I could see it happening against Chicago. I mean, they've had trouble co- covering tight ends too. Um, but they, you know, Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs are going to have to explode early. I mean, they have they have to spark that. That's the, this that's the way that they beat the Bears handedly. One thing I noticed just poking around some stats with uh, Stefan Diggs was his average depth of target. Football. That's like really, mm-hmm. that's really football-y. That's more football than route trees is average depth of target. But it's, it's almost doubled from last year where that's just how far the ball traveled through the air when it's going in his direction. And he averaged only eight yards per target mm-hmm. last year. And now he's up over 15. He leads the NFL in receiving. It's a, to me, everything plays off of the offensive line continuing to protect the quarterbacks as well as they have, whether it was Bradford in the first game or Keenum in every game except for Pittsburgh. But I think Pittsburgh, Cameron Hayward just ate them, mm-hmm. and, that, and that was it. Like, this one guy just completely dominated, and he did have some dropbacks where he went too far, and maybe he should have stepped up in the pocket. There were some mistakes there by Keenum, uh, but... For the most part, the offensive line, I think Pro Football Focus has them 11th, and Football Outsiders adjusted sack stat had them 5th mm-hmm. so far. I mean, it's exceeded, I think, even their expectations when they signed uh, Mike Remmers and Riley Reef, and it gives them an opportunity, again, because everything now is, to me, through the lens of not having Delvin Cook. 
it gives them the opportunity to keep having a deep passing game even without the top running back. Yeah, and I mean, certainly an upgrade at both tackle positions. I mean, that's what they went out and spent money on during the offseason to be able to shore up those spots. And I think you've seen, you know, it's that trust factor, you know, maybe he's a little gun shy uh, case Keenum that is week two but then you start to see him get more comfortable in the pocket and of course that's a that's a product of game plan that's a lot of that goes to Pat Shermer but so much of that goes to the offensive line and just the trust he has that he's going to be protected I mean I saw something earlier at the Rams um, you know kind of surprising there uh, I think they've only allowed eight hits total oh yeah Andrew uh, Whitworth at <laughs> that was a monster better it's an upgrade of what they had last year in Greg Robinson but uh you know they they've allowed like eight hits total on Jared Goff and I, I you know I don't think that I think Case Keenum's somewhere near the top there and I mean it's it's certainly it's a huge part of the success of this offense for me that's the biggest improvement because we didn't know for the first you know four weeks really like you, you kind of take each game um, you know, week by week, but that to me is the biggest takeaway from the first quarter of the season, just how well they've played, and really all the expectations put forth for five guys starting and you know five new starters at all five spots. Is, uh, they've they've done well. Um, I'm curious to see though in terms of once they start facing. You know, regularly, defense is the caliber of Pittsburgh, which, I mean, you're not going to see all that much, but it is coming in a few spots there uh, on the schedule. But this week, probably uh, probably a good test that they're going to have to be able to, uh, you know, keep on pace. Luckily, they've caught a break here. Or luckily for them, I'm fine either way. But <laughs> they, they've caught a break here with this schedule. Yeah. The uh, Bears have allowed 103.8 quarterback rating against so far. They are getting Pernell McPhee more involved, who is their edge rusher, that Vikings fans would know from last year. He played 25 snaps and had a sack and four quarterback hits in last year's game at Soldier Field. So they, they have a guy who can be a threat in Pernell McPhee, and he's been good in the past. But for the most part, they only have nine sacks so far this season. They have not stopped anyone. Aaron Rodgers went bananas on them. Jameis Winston had a good day against them. They're really isn't an excuse for the Vikings no matter who starts, which, by the way, Sam Bradford was practicing today. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't know at this very moment whether it's full participant or limited, but I would guess limited. Uh, But he was back at least throwing warm-up when we were over there. When we were there. The one thing I think, just to touch on that really quickly, I'm trying to pull up the quote so I actually phrase it correctly. Mike Zimmer was asked about that earlier. Like, now, okay, we know it's not, you know, it's been weeks, it's been day-to-day for weeks now, which is... Not really a fair assessment. I mean, in in theory, yes, because things could change. Nobody can predict swelling, but maybe maybe it should have been classified differently. Anyways, he was asked, you know, is this going to be a pain management thing throughout the season? He's like, you know, it's pretty much what it is, but I'm hoping it's not throughout the season. That's kind of the comment that was made with, you know, along in the same route tree of comments. Um <laughs> You know, it's kind of been notorious with Mike Zimmer and injuries before we hear about, you know, Latavius Murray needs to get on the practice field uh, during, you know, the preseason. And, you know, with Sharif Floyd last year, uh, similar, similar, I mean, I wasn't here yet, but obviously similar types of comments. So I'm wondering, too, I mean, is this, how bad is the pain? If Bradford's not playing, how bad is that pain um, for him to, you know, you wonder now, okay, is like, is three days of practice going to be enough? Because he hasn't practiced. Today's his first time in two weeks. Mm. He's been out there. 
Yeah, and trying to predict this thing is just so hard. It's obnoxious. Like, I don't want to do it. Every day, I get at least a couple of tweets of like, well, what, what's going on with Bradford? Right. What do you hear? Like, what I hear is nothing. I mean, who knows, right? I'm not even sure that they know which direction this is going, whether he's going to be back Monday night or whether they're not going to see him for a couple of more weeks. The one thing I think they have is a break is the schedule that's coming up here. Mm-hmm. Okay, Aaron Rodgers is going to be tough to beat. You're doing it at home. So if you have to play without Sam Bradford, that's really tough, but it's a little easier at home. And then you've got Ravens, and then you've got Browns. Mm -hmm. So you've got a bad Chicago team who's running out a rookie quarterback, then a tough game, and then two more games that you feel like you should win. And then when you get later in the schedule, it's just hell, right? Mm -hmm. You've got three away games. One of them is at Atlanta. The other one's at Carolina. And Carolina is better this year. Yeah. Uh, great routes, in my opinion. <laughs> I, I don't know if I, I'm, I don't know if you should talk about their routes, but I'll. You can talk, talk about. about it. Thank you. I'll talk about their. <laughs> I can go back into the cafeteria kitchen that we're currently sitting oh, wow. in and um, whip up a sandwich. Oh what? man! I'm, see, I can say that though. It's yeah. totally fine. I well, I mean, everyone should be pro sandwich anyway. So if you just want to do that anyway, and then come back and keep <laughs> talking football, you can. I, um, now, today was pizza day here, so I'm good. We're all good and happy at this point. But I think as far as trying to survive being without Bradford, if they have to for another couple of weeks, they can. But then things get really muddy with when Bradford will come back, if his knee is 100%, if he can manage the pain. And then Teddy Bridgewater at some point is coming off IR too. And this is the thing that we've been talking about for a long time, but how do they react to that? I I think that their preference would probably be just to get Sam Bradford back and go the rest of the way with him as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, does it not? Like, I mean, you're dealing, let's let's say he doesn't play this week, and then it's week six. Um, and they bring him back. I mean, yes, that would align with the timetable that Mike Zimmer originally, quote-unquote, facetiously threw out. Um, But week six, I mean, you you already know what it's going to be like after, you know, after the game ends, which it's the Packers next week. So it's a noon game, so what, 7 o'clock? So when's Teddy coming off the pop? Like, (laughs) it's never going to stop. And um, I think, honestly, they do themselves a little bit less chaos if they if if Bradford does play this week, if he's ready to play, if you know he's cle- you know if he's cleared, if if the pain management thing is not going to be too big of a problem, let him play now because either way you're dealing with free agent situations. You know if, with both of them, mm-hmm. that's the thing with you know regardless of how the tolling you know in the whole tolling things very convoluted and very confusing with Teddy Bridgewater's contract. But regardless, he plays. He's a free agent. And that's a problem, like, you know, especially with two, a team that is trying to figure out which quarterback they want for the future. So I don't know. I mean, it's, you're, you're right. The Bradford, thing, the Bradford thing is very hard to predict. I get asked about it all the time. I wish I wish we knew. I wish our crystal ball. Yeah, wish, we need Zimmer's we still, we crystal ball. We still haven't uh, gotten on that. But, no, I mean, it's – they're advantageous this week with the defense that they, that they face – uh, one that's going to be without Danny Trevathan, um, you know, which John Fox thought was very unfortunate, obviously. But um, I'm still su- – I mean, I'm still – going back to last week, I'm still surprised that his suspension got knocked down a game. I think that that's, that's appalling to me of what the league's saying is okay. Uh, you know, thinking that two-game suspension, like, you thought that was too much, really, for the hit that he had? 
Jeez, but yeah, I mean, I thought the receiver was completely stopped. They were moving backwards. Right. <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense. And then he just kind of made himself into a Mack truck and ran him over with his head. He's done that before, though. I mean, he's not. I'm not going to be the person who ever calls anybody a dirty player, but like evidence is seen on film that this is not his first rodeo with those types of hits. That's just that's where I'll leave it. So you had a chance to cover Latavius Murray. In uh, Oaktown. They call it Oaktown? They call it the town. The town. The town. The the city is San Francisco. The town is Oakland. Interesting. So. I don't know what the heck San Jose is. That's not the uh, bad Ben Affleck movie that was, I think, shot in Boston. Right. Like every other. Yes, right. Ben Affleck movie. Did he have some like awful act? Now Casey Affleck's one who has like the real Boston accent, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, So the town. Ben Affleck's character, I think, robs banks. And it was a complete ripoff of the old um, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro movie, Heat. You ever see that? I don't think I have. So I've left you hanging now. I'm sorry. All right. 0 for 2 on movies. What was the first one? The Town. The Town. But you haven't seen The Town. I don't think I have. I've seen a lot of bad. It's not Geely, but I have seen a lot of other bad Ben Affleck movies. Okay. So anyway... He robs banks with his buddies, and then they need to have one more big score, right? Mm -hmm. Because every bank-robbing movie needs to have one more big score. And uh, they rob Fenway Park. Okay, I've heard of this movie. Yeah. It's called The Town. (laughs) And it's not great. Are they successful? And how do you rob... I mean, how do you rob a ballpark? I don't recall the details because I got so caught up in frustration that it was a complete ripoff of the movie Heat <laughs> that I just stopped really paying attention. But at one point, Ben Affleck has a line where he says, I'm going to leave this town in my rear view with the you know extreme Boston accent. So They blow anything up? Probably. I would assume so. He lost some compadres, as happens every time. Like, you know, one guy gets out, the main character, but the other guys get shot. Anyway, uh, so Latavius Murray put the town in his <laughs> rear view, which is where I was trying to tie that back into. How good is he? Because it, so far it's been limited carries, only a handful of touches. And I think we think of him as a guy who made the Pro Bowl and being pretty good. But I, I don't know where to rate him and in in, in how far back he would be of Delvin Cook. Like, yeah. how much you're losing. They're, well, first off, they're two totally different backs. Like, the thing with Latavius, um, skill set-wise, on paper, that is. I mean, pass blocking, sure. He's able to catch a ball out of the backfield. He's physical. He's got speed. I mean, you can get to the outside. Um, you can beat a defender to the edge. But the thing is, he's kind of... It was kind of like last year, in 2015, when he had his 1,000-yard rushing season. Because um, first year in the NFL, he was on IR. Second year, is like... I'm looking at it right now. Second year, I'm not looking at it. I don't know where I'm, what I'm actually looking at. But the second year, um, somewhere kind of around the same production he had his third year uh, with with the uh, with the Raiders. But that 2015 season, I think, is kind of a facade a little bit just because he wasn't – yes, he had 1,000 yards rushing. Yes, he's a pro bowler, but he really wasn't as productive as he was when he wasn't the bell cow. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think that for him having splitting carries with the two rookies that they had last year, Jalen Richard and DeAndre Washington, helped him because it put him in situational stuff. Like he's a great goal line threat, great in the red zone. Like for me, thinking you know coming into this season, like before we before it was official, like kind of the end of 
the end of training camp before the, the third preseason game, wondering, okay, you know, is Dalvin Cook really going to win this thing? You know, can we see Latavius in his what was supposed to be his debut um, that third preseason game when they were here? You know, can they start seeing him in some red zone situations? Because this is a team that was the most penalized team in the red zone last year. We haven't gotten to see what it, what he what he can do yet. I right, mean, the potential's Cook, there. Sorry, because Cook is so much better than him yeah. in all areas that there was no reason to bring him in for the red zone. Exactly, like, and I mean, Cook there's yeah, exactly. It's like you know they, as I think Mike said early in the season, the hot hand. Like we went with the hot hand after week one, and it was like, hey, we're not going to stop going with the hot hand. Um, I wondered what they would have. I kept always thinking about that. What were they going to do with Latavius Murray if they were not able to? You know, I mean, it, it, they wouldn't lose that much money if they got rid of him and sent him somewhere else for next season. So that was never a concern. But he's more than an, an insurance policy, which I think is you know beneficial for him where he's at in his career. That he's going to be able to step in for the next uh, you know twelve games, mm-hmm. presumably as that uh, you know implicitly as that as that you know pseudo bell cow i mean they're gonna they're not nobody's gonna get the load that dalvin cook got right and then now it's just a matter of okay where is where's Jarrett mckinnon in this mix because mm-hmm. we saw him today in practice which i think was a good sign he was moving around pretty well because we don't know what that ankle injury was that he sustained at the end of the game against the lions mm-hmm. saw him leave um don't know what how severe that was but he did look mobile out there and I think he's somebody you're going to rely on in in the you know he's he's more explosive than Murray athletically and uh, you know to catch passes I think he's better in that you know running back who can kind of morph into you know a receiver thing I wonder about well first on your McKinnon point it's been disappointing to see that he has not become any part of this offense so far and didn't we think he was I mean there was a point where he was the clear-cut number two there after like you know week two and three but even looking at his stats they were so low yeah yeah, like he's a career 4.1 per carry but now it's like dipped down to like 2.1. So, I mean, we just, there's such a small sample size that you just don't know. And I thought last year was kind of just bad breaks for him because his first two years, he was very good as a role player. Mm-hmm. And last year, I looked at the numbers, the splits between when they used him out of a single back and when they had him in I formation. And that's, a, you know, trying to pound on third down and one or something like that. And when they were trying to put in a fullback and run with him, they were getting blasted up front, and mm-hmm. he was averaging like a yard a carry. And in all his other carries, he was reasonably decent. And I thought, okay, bad breaks, bad offensive line, that's the issue, right? So this year he'll bounce back. They'll use him in the slot sometimes. He'll, be, uh, he'll get reverses. He'll be all over the field, right? And it just hasn't happened. And now I guess this would be your opportunity if you're Pat Shermer to start finding ways to get him the ball more often. Uh, The one thing I'm interested in your opinion, because you would have seen a lot more Oakland Raiders, I don't think that Latavius Murray fits that well in in an outside zone running scheme. Or just, I mean, they use zone inside and outside, but especially on the outside. I mean, they're power in Oakland. That's the thing. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking is that him running to the outside and needing to be patient and use his vision, that is just not his skill set. I feel like they have it's to... the opposite of Dalvin Cook. Like, that right there is the one thing you can really point at and be like, these two are completely separate because of that. Right. And that's where I wonder, are they going to have to adjust up front? But then this offensive line is built to be more mobile and be able to get outside. And now it just doesn't quite fit there. And I feel like 
Murray could really struggle if they try to stick with the same scheme that they were going with. But then again, the offensive line could struggle if they try to go power. And, it, and it's a matter, too, now of you brought you got rid of Alex Boone because he couldn't run this scheme. So you have five guys who have already had to adjust so much. I mean, how much more can you – if you're, you're going to really change up scheme four weeks in? Right, probably five, You know, entering five weeks. I just don't think that's realistic. You know, that's why they're going to end up splitting the carries. I mean, I don't think it'll be pretty even. I still think Latavius is going to lead the team in carries. He'll – Probably, you know, he could eclipse, I would assume he'll eclipse Dalvin Cook, you know, where he was at with, you know, just at four, almost, un, just under 400 rush, yards rushing this season. But If he doesn't, something went really wrong. Yeah, that, 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 would, be, that would be an accurate statement. He, you know, everything that we, we saw last year, I mean, he's not, there are times he'll lower his shoulder. Um, but, I mean, he's such a, he was a very much a product of that offensive line. They were so good. There was a reason that – and I thought they were a better offensive line than Dallas. I know that there was some – you know, there's a lot of – that's up for debate. And I know that PFF, I think, had Dallas ahead of them is the way they graded out for the season. I but, think it was very close, though, how the, the grades played out. And Oakland, I mean, they just maul people. Yeah, I mean, like, they're big dudes. They run that – it's a different scheme. Yeah, with, it's, it's very different than what Dallas does. Exactly, and it's different than what they do here. I mean, I think this is a very athletic offensive line, but, you know, to be able to not have too big of a drop-off, that's why they're going to be relying on, you know, usually the run sets up the pass. Like, I think they're just going to be relying on, you know, the passing game to hold its own for the next few weeks until the run can kind of get into that rhythm because it's going to take Latavius a while. And I'm not saying that because of the ankle surgery. Like, I I think whatever that is, you know, that he's, you know he's right. Like, nobody's 100%, and I think that that won't slow him down. Um, even though that happened in March, he's kind of getting back into that and getting into a rhythm. His yards after contact don't really – they're not very sexy. Like, it's not like something that's, you know, just – Kind of surprisingly so for a guy as large as he exactly, is. and that's that's what kind of he wasn't dragging guys that much in Oakland. I mean, there's you know, and he he didn't have to really pick up on a whole ton of you know the whole third best pass blocking running back thing. It makes sense, but he wasn't really picking up on many missed assignments from his offensive line because there True. just really weren't that many. Um, in a blitz pickup, sure. He can he can, he's, he can hold his own, and he's a big dude, and he's fast too. I mean, he's kind of deceptively fast, but. You know, in what we've seen, very limited, he did look slow. And I was, you know, if you're Latavius, you're disappointed that you can't punch it in from the three-yard line last week because that's what he was known for. That was his – ten of his 12 touchdowns last year came inside the five. That is his bread and butter. And that's where I thought he was going to make – long before the Dalvin Cook stuff, I thought he was going to be able to make a pretty big impact in terms of, you know, know, lining up there, being used situationally. And now he's going to have to – you know, he's – they bit off a lot with him now because of, um, at least in terms of, you know, what his role is going to be going forward. With the ankle thing, I think he had a little bit of a Freudian slip there and then tried to cover it up. He's a very but, honest player. I mean, he's a great yeah. interview. He will tell you he's always around. He'll tell you exactly how it is. And he's very, you know, he's a great guy to talk to. And I think he was just too honest, unfortunately. Yeah, and I, th- I think it, just from watching him versus what he said it made total sense to me mm-hmm. that the ankle would not be back to 100 percent because this is a guy who ran like a 438 or something 40 i mean he's kind of known for power but he's really fast mm-hmm. and has not looked really fast at all so it would make sense that the combination of not playing that much plus coming off of serious ankle surgery that kept him out for the first entire month of training camp would have him slowed down and you feel like 
if you're the Vikings, you're going to have to use the pass as your run if he doesn't bounce back or if he doesn't get that burst back because it, it's not a real great situation unless you really believe in Stephen Ridley, right? That's, that's <laughs> the thing that kind of makes you shake your head. I mean, this dude hasn't played football in I mean, bare, how many games did he play in 2016? Any? I want to say it was only one. Yeah, I think it was one game with the Falcons. I mean, his his explosive year was in 2012. Um, you know, that first year he second year he had with the Patriots. Um, I think 1,200 yards rushing, mm-hmm. 12 touchdowns. I mean, but that was so long ago, and it's like we don't really even know like what where this guy's role is. I just I think you have to lean pretty heavy on. McKinnon and, and Murray, obviously particularly with Murray, but it's going to take a while for them to figure out what that right workload is because Dalvin was averaging 18.5 carries a game, and I think he had 11 receptions total. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously that burst there in week three, I think he had five for 72 yards, but um, you know they're going to have to f- try to find the right formula because ca- you wonder, too, how much can you ride Jarek McKinnon? Like, how serious – his ankles – if I'm correct on this, has been an issue for the last few years. Yep. It's been something that's popped up from time to time. Correct. You have two running backs that you're not like you know overly concerned. Oh my gosh, these are serious ankle injuries. But we just got the you know we just got the um, injury report, and you know Jarek's on there with his ankle. It says he's full participation on uh, Thursday, which is a good, it's a good sign. I think that's what I was saying. I th- thought it was a good sign that he was moving around out there on some of his routes that he was running earlier with Sam Bradford. What are those? Um, Sam Bradford actually looked pretty good, too, all things considered. From the last time, if my memory can remember, two weeks ago what it was like to see him you know, move around, he does look better than that. Uh, Bradford, a, li- a limited participant. So that leaves us totally in limbo. Not Once know- again. Yeah, as, as per usual. Uh, last thing for you, just Michael Floyd and what mm-hmm. we expect from him. I expect him to be at least a shadow of what he used to be, which is still way better than Laquan Treadwell. He's, he's a deceptively quick, deep threat. I think he doesn't get the credit for that. Everybody I've talked to has said, this guy, yes, he's 6'3", 220. But he can he he was there was a reason Carson Palmer like you know that's the re, that's the role that he had with Arizona for six seasons that mm-hmm. he was that deep threat for them and you know we could get in the open field he has pretty good you know he's pretty he's a pretty shifty receiver for his size and he can bust through tackles I mean he's a big dude they don't have that out there right now so it's an element that's going to be nice to see how they can fold that in and I you know. I, it's kind of a no-brainer right now. Nobody's established themselves as a third receiver. Like yeah, That's putting it lightly. <laughs> I, I mean, Laquan Treadwell here, well, first on, on Michael Floyd, what you're saying, is now they can use everyone as a deep threat on different plays. Mm-hmm. And that is And they can line him up in the slot, too. I mean, that's where he's done some damage before. Yeah, I mean, he's had enough experience of being a deep threat and playing all over the field. We, we watched him in training camp. He was... Really excellent in training camp. He was playing mostly with the second team, and he was just embarrassing second teamers out there. So he is clearly an established NFL wide receiver. Even if he doesn't have what he used to have, it's another weapon that that you add to the mix and helps soften the blow of losing Cook. The more interesting thing to me is not so much Floyd as it is Laquan Treadwell, because I think this is it. I think it's over. I think the Treadwell experiment, it ends Monday. It's done. He's not an NFL wide receiver anymore. That he, so you can finally use that word that you've wanted, that you and many other, well, maybe not you, but a lot of other people have probably wanted to use. He, from day one, has kind of looked like a bust. Mm-hmm. 
the fact that he couldn't get in as a wide receiver to open last season with a team that had questions at wide receiver was pretty mind-blowing. To have three targets in a season where you were drafted in the first round is incredible and super rare. I think it's only happened to one other guy, A.J. Jenkins, that was drafted in the first round over the last, like, ten years. And this year he has shown nothing. He has not gone deep successfully. He hasn't been open on tape. There isn't any sort of, well, actually, if you watch the tape, he's pretty good. No, and Don't you not. remember week two? Pat Shermer said, yeah, he's an important part of this offense. We're trying <laughs> to get him more involved. Well, they're targeting him like yeah. one or two times a game. Yeah, um, uh, Pro Football Focus, if you listen to the last episode of um, the Purple Podcast, Pro Football Focus's Eric Eager had a stat that he was in the bottom five uh, at targets versus snaps. Right, So, like, how many targets he's gotten versus how many snaps he's been on the field for, he's one of the worst in the entire NFL. So, I mean, this is a guy who has been nothing in the offense, and I just can't see a scenario where he would uh, come up and suddenly be good because it isn't like Cordero Patterson, who was fast, and if he got the ball, he could make plays, and he was the best kick returner Yeah, in the he was league. contributing elsewhere. I mean, yeah. he's a huge special teams player. I mean, Laquan hasn't even established himself to do that. He was in on four punts, I okay. think. Blocking, maybe, last, last week. It's, he does, it, the problem I realized with Laquan, and it was something that we realized early on in his college career, he can't create separation. When I covered him at Ole Miss, that was the number one knock on him that, you know, He's a big physical dude, yes, but he cannot separate himself from the corner, regardless of they're playing with a cushion. Like that's that to me is you know that that's still kind of become an issue into you know his second year in the NFL is going to be a problem. Um, I think Jerry is right has a role for sure in this offense. It was kind of nice to see him get himself involved a little bit more there against um, against Tampa Bay, and you know. He, but he, neither neither he has also like established himself as the third wide out. So I think Mike's probably got a pretty good chance to. It's a pretty comfortable spot to slide him in right there. Yeah, if he makes a handful of plays, then it's way more than you got before. Um, all right, before we end it, who is your favorite awful Bears quarterback ever? Cade McNown, probably. Cade McNown is a great pick. Who's yours? Henry Burris. See, like that's the thing. People always want to like you know. Henry Burris won a championship in the CFL last year at, like, 41 years old, and I could not believe that Henry Burris was still playing football somewhere after once being a Bears quarterback. Rex always got, even after the Super Bowl year, always got criticism. And I understood it, but I don't think it was just. I was like, there's a lot worse quarterbacks in this franchise's history than, than Rex Grossman. When you have to apologize for Rex Grossman – you know that it's a really bad quarterback situation. So no matter how bad Vikings fans feel about all their quarterbacks' knees and having to play Case Keenum, at least you're not the Bears. Yeah, no, I mean, they, historically, that's been, that's been their Achilles heel. Like they've many had, McNowns. Many McNowns. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I bet they're – it's just – it's – you know, being from Chicago and having a lot of friends that are Bears fans, like it was like Christmas Day when, when they got rid of Jay Cutler. And I was like, he wasn't even the worst of your problems last no. year. Like, he that, was by far their best right? for a long time. And that's a sad thing. That just shows you the state of that franchise and what that ownership values because, you know, it's, that's been a question mark to me for a very long time. A team that had a McNown and a McCown. <laughs> it's magical, this game.
All right. Well, thanks, Courtney, and we'll do it again soon. Of course. And thank you all for listening to the Purple Podcast. Venture X from Capital One is the travel card for people always asking, Where next? You earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars and 5x miles on flights booked through Capital One Travel and 2x miles on everything else you buy with Venture X. Plus, receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.